Thank you for checking out the Mercy Hill Church Sermon Podcast. If you would like to know more about Mercy Hill, you can visit us on the web at mercyhill.cc. Paul Michaels is, is a dear friend, um, not just because he married my aunt, but um, he's, he's, he's seen and experienced things on the missions field and seen the power of God move specifically in Nepal in that region of the, of the world, and really just helped to um, partner with church planners in those areas, in these areas have never heard the gospel before, really doing missions work, kind of frontline missions work. And so we have, we've got the privilege this morning to just hear him bring the word. He was in town. I found out he was in town. I said, Paul, would you, know, would you mind coming and sharing some things with us about what the things you've seen the Lord do? So he's, we got the privilege of, of hearing from him this morning. So, Paul, why don't you come on up? Let's welcome Paul Michaels. Good morning. It's great to, great to be with you this morning. It, it is a privilege for me to be able to share with you um, not so much my experiences. Uh, I'll weave those in, I guess, a little bit this morning, but uh, to be able to share the word of the Lord with you this morning. So I uh, want to start by just asking the Lord's uh, work in our hearts. So let's pray together. Father in heaven, Lord, uh, we, we come in different ways with different experiences and different things on our heart. And uh, Lord, I pray that this morning you would meet us. I pray that you would reveal yourself to us. And then in particular, you would reveal to us the glory of Christ and his cross in a fresh way. That we might uh, see not only how amazing it is that Christ has died for us and risen again from the dead, but that this changes our lives in a very deep way. Lord, we struggle to know how it truly, how you intended it to impact our lives. And so I pray that your spirit would teach us, would encourage us, would even correct us, and would lead us to greater faith and greater love for you. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. It has been a, a joy for me uh, the last couple of years to be serving in a different capacity than I served before. Uh, I was pastoring uh, a church in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and one morning a man showed up in the foyer of the school that we were renting, and uh, he said, Hi, I'm, I'm Ram. Uh, I'm a refugee from Nepal. Uh, I've the last 23 years, I've lived in a refugee camp, and I've just come to your country uh, by invitation of your president, uh, and uh, uh, I uh, saw your sign out front of the school and wanted to visit your church. I, I was a devout Hindu uh, for many years, but so while I was in the refugee camp, uh, an Indian evangelist came into the camp, and he shared with me the good news of Jesus Christ. And uh, through his preaching, I came to believe in Christ while I was a refugee. And uh, so uh, he had moved into uh, the city of Harrisburg where we lived. And, and uh, unknown to us uh, before that, uh, so did six 
thousand other refugees who um, were predominantly Brahmin Hindus. In fact, he was one of only a handful of Christians uh, in the community. And so that introduced us to the Nepali-speaking people who actually uh, are from Bhutan, uh, but uh, they were driven out of that country uh, because of their background, because of their ethnic uh, connection. And uh, they spent almost 25 years as refugees in Nepal, and then uh, President uh, George W. Bush invited 60,000 to be brought into our country. So... uh, that's what kicked all of this off, uh, and then uh, a couple years ago I met uh, a national leader who spoke uh, at a conference in the U.S., and he invited me to come over to Nepal, and uh, one thing led to another, and now we're doing evangelism and church planting uh, full-time uh, in Nepal. So um, it's, it's been an amazing ride. And uh, an incredible experience, uh, as it always is uh, when you follow the Lord. Uh, And I I trust that uh, uh, the things that I share, even in those experiences, might encourage your faith. I've really come this morning to uh, speak to to all of you, to wherever you're coming from, whether you're um, a person considering serving in cross-cultural ministry, or whether you're a mom who is struggling to uh, homeschool, or a mom and dad who face challenges uh, with kids, or uh, a husband or wife who is in a difficult marriage, or a young person who uh, is taking classes at the university uh, above, uh, in taking classes that are above your intellectual quotient. I'm, I'm, I'm used to that uh, myself, always getting in situations like this is way beyond me. Uh, whatever situation you may face, I trust that the Lord will use uh, his word to speak to you today. And I'd like to invite you to turn to Galatians chapter 5, where we have instruction that I believe is some of the most important instruction in all the New Testament. This instruction touches every aspect of our life. It touches whatever we do. It touches our lives, uh, men, even at the workplace uh, where you face difficulties and challenges. It is instruction that we must hear and we must apply to our lives every day and every moment of every day. And so that's why I direct your attention to Galatians 5, and I'd like to uh, begin in verse 1 and read through uh, verse, uh, verse 6. It is for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. And I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he is under obligation to keep the whole law. You have been severed from Christ, you who are seeking to be justified by law. You have fallen from grace. For we, through the Spirit, by faith, 
are waiting for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything but faith working through love. In the ESV it says, neither circumcision or uncircumcision mean, accounts for anything, but rather faith which expresses itself in love. I'd like to speak to you this morning what counts, what really matters in the Christian faith. And, and if you're here even wondering what the Christian faith is about, I trust that God will speak to you as well, because what our life is about is coming to realize who Jesus Christ is, coming to realize what he really accomplished when he was here on earth, especially through his life, death, and resurrection, and how he has come to lead us into new life, into a freedom, a freedom which is so powerful that it sets us free from condemnation. It sets us free from the power of sin. It sets us free from the authority of Satan. And it gives us a new life. What counts is faith. And obviously that begs the question, what is faith? What really is faith? We see a statement in Hebrews chapter 11, which describes for us very simply what faith is. In Hebrews 11, in verse 1, it says this, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. That's what faith is. Faith, first of all, is an assurance. It's a surety. Another word we might use for that is it's an expectation that what God has promised, He will do. What God has promised, He will do. It also says that faith is a conviction of things not seen. This tells us that what we see is not all that's in the world, (laughs) but what God has said is true. It is a conviction that what God has said is true. And finally... Faith is a reliance on God and his provision and not on our own strength and what we can produce. One way that I've tried to remember this and make it concrete is I think of the word car, C-A-R. First of all, faith is conviction that what God has said in his word is absolutely true. I believe this. And it's a conviction in my heart. And as God has said this, then I have this 
anticipation, this expectation that what he promises he really will do. I may have to wait a while for him to do it, but it will happen. And he will fulfill every promise he has made to us. And then last of all, faith is a reliance. God made us humans. (laughs) He made us weak. He made us with the need to sleep. He made us with the need to eat. He made us with many needs. We sang about those needs this morning. Yes, we are human. And he has made us in such a way that we must rely upon him. And that is where we experience the essence of our humanity. Where we turn to God and we say, I need you. And then as we confess that to him and as we live with that kind of faith, God says, let me show you who I am. And it's good. Faith is really like a tree. You know, and, and I, I, I really wrestle all the time with, you know, what, what is faith, you know? How do I make it concrete? And I think, you know, faith is like a tree. How does a tree stand? Can it stand by itself? Have you ever seen a tree stand by itself? No. It puts its roots down in the soil. And it stands by rooting its strength in this soil. And that's what faith is like. It cannot stand by itself. And what do we root our faith in? God's promises, God's word, God's provision. In... In Nepal, God does this again and again and again. And, you know, it's, it, it, I, I just want to encourage you, and it, and it, and it really isn't, uh, I'm not telling you something that you do not understand, but it takes faith to live here too. It takes faith to homeschool your kids every day. It takes faith to send your kids to school. And trust that the Lord will work. It takes faith to parent your kids. I don't know that there's a more difficult responsibility that we have. Having raised three kids, I understand that responsibility very deeply. It is difficult. And it takes faith. (laughs) Amen? So when I say it takes faith in in Nepal, I'm I'm not saying that's the only place. But when you step in a world that is so different from the one we've gotten used to here, uh, I think I I can't even take one step there without seeing God help me. And uh, I'm reminded of this every time I go to that country um, last spring, uh, we were setting things up to move into four different districts uh, for church planting, evangelism and church planting. And God directed our steps in an incredible way. 
as we met with nationals in regions, we, we literally hiked for two months. And uh, we hiked the mountains of, of Nepal, meeting, you know, just trying to see where the church was, where the gospel had spread. Even the national leaders that I was working with in Kathmandu, they had no idea in many of these regions where the gospel had spread and where there were churches. So for us to understand the mission field, we had to, we had to go through the field, <laughs> And we had to walk the field. And God uh, directed our steps in such amazing ways. So we finish our research and are prepared then to go the next step. And the next day I'm supposed to fly out of Kathmandu. And I'm preaching, as I am this morning, I'm preaching in a church. And at 11.56 in the morning the whole world begins to shake. <laughs> and it shakes so violently that I am thrown off of the platform and against the wall and I cannot move because things are shaking so violently. And uh, we were going through the earthquake that hit Nepal. We were just crying out to God, Oh, Lord, please do not let the walls fall down on us. Please hold up this building. He's crying out to him. And after about 30 seconds, things stopped shaking. And the building stood. And as I saw what had happened around us, I was grateful. There was a wall across the street from where we were uh, meeting. And it had fallen down, a seven-story wall. I have a brick at home that reminds me that wall fell <laughs> where I stood. <laughs> the building did not fall. It takes faith. Every step that we take. And that's, the, that's what really counts in the Christian life. And I ask you, are you people of faith? Are you someone who has a deep conviction, I cannot take one step today without walking by faith, where I am turning to God and I have a conviction that every word he speaks is true. Taking another step and expecting every promise he has made, he will do, he will fulfill it. Taking another step and saying, Lord, Right now, the kids are out of control. <laughs> and I'm trying to teach them. Dads, teaching them the word of God. You know, Lord, I need you to work so that your word takes root in their heart. I can teach them, but I need your spirit to work. I need you to provide what I don't have in myself. This is what the Apostle Paul is calling us to in Galatians 5. What counts, what really matters, is faith. But there's another aspect to this that is extremely important. Obviously, he says this in context. And even though he says what counts is faith, there's a whole lot that goes with that. Because the entire letter to the Galatians is calling the church back to Christ. 
calling the church back to saying, you cannot live the Christian life apart from him, apart from what he has done, apart from his sacrifice, which has won your forgiveness. You can't take a step. You cannot draw near to a holy God without Christ. And so, what also is referred to when Paul says what really counts is faith. It's faith that is rooted in the gospel. It's rooted in Jesus Christ. It is rooted in what he has done. An example of this is found in in the second chapter. As, As Paul is getting into the essence of what he writes about in, in chapter 2. He speaks of, of this faith, which is, is so important. In chapter 2 and verse 15, he refers to those Jews who were going to the church in Galatia. It was a mixed church of both Jews and Gentiles. And because of the history which Jews had with In their relationship with God, it was easy for them to think that they had an in with God just because they were Jews. But this is what Paul says as one of the the chief of Jews. He says, we are Jews by nature and not sinners from among the Gentiles. Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, But through what? Faith in Christ. And not by the works of the law. Excuse me. Through faith in Christ. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus. Even we Jews. Even those of us who historically have had a relationship with God. There is one place and one place only that we put our faith. And that is in what Jesus Christ has done for us. Even we have been justified by faith. What he's referring to here is an exchange which God made when we believed in Jesus Christ. When we believed in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins when we believed who Jesus Christ is as the Son of God and the only Savior of the world, God did a great exchange. He took all of our sin and he placed it upon Christ. And he took Christ's perfect righteousness and clothed us in his perfect righteousness. That is justification. And as Paul makes very clear here, that happens not by what we do, not by keeping God's commandments. It's impossible because his commandments are too holy, God is too holy, and therefore we receive this forgiveness and righteousness by trusting. Trusting an incredible message. Trusting the best news that you and I will ever hear. And that is, God will forgive you of all your sins and give you righteousness which stands before him by trusting in his son and what he has done for you. Plain and simple. And so when Paul says, 
What really counts is faith. He's referring to this this faith, which is rooted in Christ. And so that is what God is calling us to as well. There is, you know, even this morning, you know, I just want to be honest with you and open with you about this. I come and I'm preaching and it's like, God, who am I to preach here? How can I with any assurance at all preach your word? You know who I am. You know my struggles. You know my weaknesses. And so I apply (laughs) what this message says. Yeah, but you're in Christ. You have Jesus. You have his forgiveness. You have his righteousness. And that's what counts. (laughs) And I am so glad that's what counts. Every day you will face challenges. Guys, you'll face challenges at work. You really think that God wants to go to work with you? (laughs) Seriously. I mean, do you really expect God to be present with you at the workplace? He does. He wants to fill the earth with his glory. He wants to go to work with you. You think, oh Lord, you don't want to go here. (laughs) This is a nasty place. (laughs) God says, yeah, I do. I want to reveal, reveal my presence to you, and I want to reveal my presence to the people that you work with. And I want to fill this place with my glory. I had a guy years ago when I was pastoring at Living Hope. I had a guy come to me, and I mean, his work was eating his lunch. I mean, he he was he was losing his sanity, and um, he just came and he said, "You know, I just I'm working seventy hours a week. I have no time for my family. My boss is making more and more demands on me. The team that I have to work with hate me." I just, I don't know what to do. I said, well, you know, do you really think that God wants to go to work with you? Does God want to show his presence there? And I encouraged him to do something very simple. I said, Tim, at the top of every hour, take five minutes and invite God to be present with you and to be working. Just pray. And at the top of every hour, when you see God showing his presence and working, thank him, praise him. And then pray for the next thing he needs to do the next hour. Someone shared with me uh, this advice with me many, many years ago when I was a sophomore in college and I was ready to quit. Second semester, it was too much. I mean, I, I was a jock. I played sports. I didn't study in books. And, and God called me out of that life and called me to gospel ministry. And it, it was just, you know, Greek? What are you talking about? I can't even speak English. <laughs> are you kidding me? And by the second semester of my sophomore year, it was killing me. And so a good friend of mine said, slow down. At the top of every hour, Just pray for five minutes. 
and see what God wants to do. It was unbelievable what God did with Tim. It was unbelievable what he did with me in that. I mean, I became a B student. (laughs) It was great. (laughs) But it's amazing what God did with Tim. Because God gave him peace of mind. God began to show up at work. God began to give him favor with his boss. God began to give him ability. He was an actuary. You know, it's like, I, I don't even still know how to define what an actuary does. I mean, it, it's with math and numbers, you know, it's like unbelievable. God was giving him incredible favor and, and, and ability at his work, blessing his workplace, and even reconciling his relationships with his, with his team that he had to work with every day. Because he learned that he needed to walk by faith. So yeah, God wants to show up. He wants to go to work with you. And the assurance that he wants to do this is Christ. Because what Christ has done for us. Now, in Galatians 5 and verse 6... It says, what really counts is faith working through love. Some translation uh, says, faith expressing itself through love. And what God is telling us very simply and very clearly is, if you and I are walking by faith and growing in faith, we will grow to love. And we will grow to love in two ways. We will grow to love others more than ourselves. And we will grow to love God more than ourselves. I'd like to, to speak to that. First of all, if we are walking by faith, we will grow to love others more than ourselves. And how does that work? How does that work? Well, let me give you an example. Um, like in any Christian community, the Polys struggle with, with the same things. And there was a lady in one of the churches that we work in named Debbie Maya. And... Uh, she met with a lady, and she had shared with that lady uh, some struggles that she was having in her marriage. And uh, she was asking her to, to pray for her as she was struggling in, in her marriage. But within a, a couple of weeks in which she shared that personal information, Word had gotten to some other ladies how she was struggling in her marriage, and they, some of the ladies began gossiping about the struggles that Debbie was experiencing. And you think, wow, how does faith work in that situation? Well, in Ephesians chapter 4, at the end of the chapter, God 
shows us how this faith works. When he says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other. But how? How? Just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. That's how. As we root our faith in what Jesus Christ has done for us, it shows us a forgiveness that is so incredible, so amazing. But again, it requires that daily we root our faith in the reality of God's forgiveness. How much has he forgiven you? And we forget this, and so we we begin to struggle. We begin to struggle with forgiving others. Another situation that I think of is is a, um, a couple who came to believe in Jesus Christ. And they were the first ones in their village to believe in Christ. And Nepal is a Hindu nation. To be Nepali is to be Hindu. And so as the good news of Christ is spreading and people are believing in Christ, there are many, many villages where you are the first believer in that village, first follower of Christ. And this couple had come to believe in Jesus Christ as they heard of who he is and what he had done. And immediately when the village discovered that they had believed, quote, a foreign god, they cut off their water supply. Uh, In many, many of these mountain villages, there is one source of water. And and they tap into the mountain, and they bring a pipe out of the mountain and put a spout on it. And every morning, the people of the village gather around this spout and collect water for the day. And that's how they do life in these villages. Well... What has happened quite often, uh, I've heard it a number of times, happened with this couple. Because they believed in Jesus Christ, the village leader said, no more water. Don't come. And so, for months, you know, you can't can't live without water, right? (laughs) For months, they walked down an hour and a half down the mountain to the river And they got water and they hauled it up. Day after day, week after week, month after month. And, you know, the village leaders were saying, hey, if you deny Christ and turn back to the real gods that we believe in, we'll let you have water. They said, no, we can't do that. We believe who Jesus Christ is. We believe that he's God's son. We believe that he's the one who has won our salvation. So for months, they suffered like this because of their faith in Christ. Well, <laughs> this is how God is working. And there, there are just amazing, amazing stories, like Tim's story <laughs> that I told you about. Amazing stories. One, one day, the, the husband of the family uh, was walking through a field that his family had owned for generations and generations. And as he walked through one of the fields, he saw water coming out of the field. He said, 
Our family has never had water in its farm. This water is coming out of the field. He taps into the water. But here's the deal. Now they had a decision to make. (laughs) Would we forgive the village for cutting off our water and offer water to them? Faith working through love. They said, you know what? (laughs) We have experienced God's incredible forgiveness, not by what we've done, but because of what Christ has done for us. And so we must, we must forgive them. We must offer them our water. And now God has used that love and that faith to bring others to Christ in that village. Our faith is to express itself. It is to work through love. But just as importantly, our faith expresses itself through love for God. For God. Faith leads us to believe that our soul's greatest happiness and joy is found in God. So it compels us to die to ourselves, and it is not easy to die to the flesh's, the sinful nature's desire. But we are compelled to die to these desires and to love God more than ourselves. Why? Because we believe this one truth, this one reality. Christ has died for me. And through his death, through his sacrifice, through his unselfishness, I have forgiveness. And I have peace with God. I want to speak a word to those who may be here this morning and who do not know this love, who do not know this peace. And and you're not persuaded that what Christ has offered to you is all that great. And I'd like to encourage you to consider what God says in his word from Psalm 16. And in Psalm 16, we are told where we will find life, where we will find joy, where we will find pleasures that are deeper and longer lasting than anything this world offers. If you're here this morning and you're looking for something to fill that void inside of you, that emptiness and you haven't found what it is, I want to encourage you, you will find it in one place and in one person. You will find it in Christ at his cross. And we are told what will happen when we find Christ and his cross. In Psalm 16 and verse 11, 
God tells us here, and listen, this is God's word to you. This is what he says. You make known to me the path of life. The Lord does. In your presence, the Lord's presence, is fullness of joy. And in your right hand, in the Lord's right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. I was brought up in a home that did not go to church. Um, I, before I believed in Christ, I did not believe in God. I was an atheist. And I was thinking that I would find pleasure in the things of this world. And I never was satisfied. And I think that if you're here this morning and you have that emptiness I want to encourage you, consider Christ. Consider Christ. Because this is his claim. Psalm 16 and verse 11. In me is the path of life. In me is fullness of joy. In me are pleasures that are unimaginable. Because they're real. This is what you're made for. And in Christ, you will discover what you've been made for. So I want to invite you. (laughs) Consider Christ. His claim is real. It is powerful. I mean, these people are here (laughs) because of it. I'm here because of it. And it's real. You know... The, the temptation to find our satisfaction and fulfillment uh, in the things of this world is it, it, it's still there. I mean, you and I know this. Every day we face this. And God is saying, no. Your greatest joy, your greatest satisfaction will be found in laying down your life following me and I will show you what life really is the focal point that God is calling us to every day is the cross of Christ he's saying come come to the foot of the cross come to see what I have done for you come to see my great love for you And even though this isn't, in a sense, new news, (laughs) it is great news still for us today. There's a lady who lives in Louisville, Kentucky. And just this past year, she and her family woke up. And uh, they already had two kids. She was, as they say, great with child. She was almost ready to deliver. And as they woke up that Saturday morning, they got around, and her husband said, I need to go and do some errands, and I'll be back. And so he left the house, and while he was running errands, his car was T-boned, and he was instantly killed. This lady's name is Rebecca. And in in that experience... Rebecca shares how it tested 
her faith. How can I be a young mom with two kids? That following week, she delivered their third child. How can I live without my husband? (laughs) I had the... I had the joy of marrying another lady who went through that. My wife Donna. Five kids, ages six through 16. A few days before Christmas, her husband had a massive stroke and died Christmas morning. How do you go through that? How do you walk through the experience of losing someone that you deeply love as I did my first wife, Cindy? How do you make sense of that? There's only one place where you can make sense of it. And that place is described for us in Romans 8 and verse 32. In Romans 8, the Apostle Paul is talking about the suffering that we will experience as Christians. It's real. It hurts. And all of us will face it as long as we live here on earth. So how do we deal with it? How do we make sense of it? There's only one place. In Romans 8, in verse 32, we're told these words. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? You know, when we go through trials like losing the one we love and and other things that just don't make sense to us, it, it, it causes all kinds of doubts about God and God says I know you're not going to understand this I am sovereign I am working but I invite you to come to one place where I meet everyone because that's the only place that you're going to be able to make any sense out of this and that's at the cross that's what Romans 8.32 says Go to the cross. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him. When did he deliver him? When we were his enemies. He said, son, go for them. Because I love them so much. You're going to take their place. He says, okay. Go to the cross because one thing I don't want you to ever doubt, and that is my love. And if God loved us that much at the cross when we are his enemies, then he says, you can can believe that I will love you now. I loved you there. I will love you here. I loved you then. I will love you now. There are a lot of things that we can't make sense out of. 
You know, and, and, and these kinds of challenges, these kinds of trials really test our faith. But God says, keep going to the cross and understand what I did there. Because that'll help you understand my love doesn't quit. I'm not giving up on you. I'm not turning my back on you. And this is what Rebecca faced as she, she lost her, her husband. She was saying, God, what have I done that brought this? She was, you can listen to her testimony on YouTube. It's, it's really an amazing testimony. What have I done to cause you to hate me so much that you have taken my husband the week before I deliver our third child? And God's answer, you haven't done anything. You don't understand this. But I want you to understand one thing. This is how much I love you. And when she went to the cross, then she could say one thing I do not doubt. God loves me this much. God, God calls us to lay down our lives, lay down our lives and to follow him every day. Going to work, staying in the home, raising your kids, Loving a husband who isn't so lovely. And going to places in the world that have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'll finish with this story. Last last, um, fall, I went back to Nepal and I thought, you know... I've already gone through an earthquake. This is going to be a piece of cake. I mean, really, it can't get any worse than feeling like you're you're just you're ready. Your life is finished. And then I actually stayed two weeks after that, and within the first two days, we had a hundred aftershocks. And I think the aftershocks are about as bad as the earthquake itself. Because it just seems like your whole world is just constantly falling apart. It's going to come collapsing in on you. So I went back uh, last fall and uh, thought, all right, let's, let's go do what we've researched to do. Let's go preach the gospel to villages that have never heard before. And so we went into eastern Nepal in a district called Taplajung. And uh, as I arrived in Kathmandu, my friends met me and they said, okay, what are you, what are you planning on doing uh, this time? I said, well, I'm going to Taplajong. I'm going to be joining a group of uh, uh, 12 pastors and we're going to take the gospel into six villages. And they said, where are you going? I said, Taplajong. And they said, is it safe? And I was like, what do you mean, is it safe? And they said, well, you know, there's an Indian blockade right now on the southern border of Nepal. And it's bad enough that the Indians are not allowing any goods to come into our country, but they're actually becoming quite violent. The Madras people who have their roots uh, uh, with the uh, country of India, they're actually bombing 
trucks and buses and, and throwing rocks through the windshields. And it was not really safe to go to Top Lejeune. It's like, well, can we fly there? And it's like, no, the airport's not open yet. So how do we get there? The only way to get there is by bus. <laughs> it's like, well, then I guess we'll go by bus. And the whole week, you know, I, somebody had asked me, where are you going? It's like, I'm going to Top Lejeune. And the whole week, the same response. Is it safe? <laughs> and after about the fifth person said this, it's like, this is crazy. What do you, you know? So, I, you know, I, I really thought that I needed to pray about it. And it's like, Lord, you know, maybe you have some different plans than I do. And the uh, Lord said, no, I want you to go. I want you to go. I want you to take the gospel to villages that have never heard. It's like, okay. So we, we uh, get tickets to go to Top Lejong, and the first four hours of our bus ride, it's an all-night bus ride. We start about four in the afternoon. We, we ride until about six of the next morning. So the first four hours uh, uh, are really not bad at all, but then we get into the plain region where these Madrash people are. And we're bumping along, you know, the Nepali road. That's how, that's how you travel in Nepal, man. You're just constantly bumping and jerking, and that's the way the roads are. And then the next thing I know, something explodes in front of us, and the whole caravan stops. And, uh, and <laughs> really, uh, to put it uh, simply, all hell broke loose. It really did. Uh, what had happened was the Madras people had attacked the caravan, firebombed the truck in front of us, started throwing rocks at the caravan, and it brought all of us to a halt. And so we're, we're in these huge cargo trucks and these greyhound-like buses, huge buses, and we're saying, we cannot keep going forward. we got to turn around. And, you know, so all these great big vehicles on a two-lane road are trying to turn around. It's like turning a herd of elephants around. You know, it just it doesn't happen easily. And so we're, we're jostling back and forth. It's like, oh, wait a minute. i got to ah. you know, yeah, It was crazy. It's total chaos for about 10, 15 minutes. Finally, we get turned around. And just as we get turned around to head back to where we came from, the police showed up. And said, no, don't turn around, don't turn around, we're here. We'll protect you, we'll lead you. It's like, all right. So we spend another (laughs) 15 minutes (laughs) trying to get turned around, going east again. And uh, so we get turned around and they take us to the next village. And when we get to the next village the police peel off. It's like, no, that's not where we're stopping here. We still got all night to go. But they peel off. The few vehicles in front of us peel off. And now our bus becomes the lead vehicle in the caravan. It's like, I do not like this. We are now the first target. So we keep going. And again, we come under attack Two more times. But this is what's amazing. While these firebombs are are flying, while these rocks are going through windshields, and the bus right behind us had its windshield broken out, 
while these things are flying, our bus is never touched. And God was preparing my heart because as I was thinking of going to Taplajong among the Limbu people who are radical Hindus, I was thinking, Lord, I don't know what we're going to experience there. And God was saying, let me show you, I'm with you. You do not have to be afraid. And so the whole way, trucks and buses are getting bombed and rocked. And God is saying, they're not touching you. Because I have a mission for you. So I join these other brothers. We go out, go into villages. First village, we hike three days, go to Manman Key, share the gospel. Eight adults come to faith in Jesus Christ, a village that had never heard the gospel before. We go to Boykeem, 11 people, adults, come to faith in Christ. We went to a couple other villages, and there wasn't the same response, but it was so amazing to be preaching this powerful message, God's message. And Hindus who had never heard this message before over a period of three days, you know, we, we would go one by one. Are you ready to confess your faith in Jesus Christ publicly? And many of them said no, but there, there were eight people and 11 people said yes, yes, yes. <laughs> and God was igniting his church in villages that had never heard the gospel before. This is our God. But this is the faith that he calls us to walk by. And if you say... Well, I don't know if I have that faith. Just ask yourself one question. How much are you growing to love others? How much are you growing to love God? Because that's the fruit of this faith. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for speaking so clearly to us in your word. I pray that you would now take these simple, this simple reality, what counts is faith working through love. You would take that reality and you would work it deep into our lives. Lord, I pray that tomorrow, that as men go to work, that you would make these men, men of faith. Inviting your presence, believing that you want to be present, believing that you want to fill the earth with your glory. Lord, I pray that you would reveal yourself to them and you would reveal yourself to their co-workers. Lord, those who are in other contexts, I pray that you might work in the same way. Oh, Lord, you call us to be a community of faith. And we pray that you might fill us with your spirit, empower us, that we would be more people of faith, that this faith would lead us to love others and to love you in a greater way. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.